Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Jared Saltalamacchia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. On a 3-2, DeLuca. It's a drive, left field, back goes Reynolds, it's gone! Johnny DeLuca's first big league home run breaks the tie in the eighth inning! Johnny DeLuca, Joe Davis, home run call of the day, excellent job. Well, baseball is about to take a turn in the road. That's right, because a turn in the road is always the All-Star Game. Coming up next week, before the All-Star Game, you do have the rookie game, the Futures game. Sorry, not the rookie game. The Futures game in Seattle. Then you have the Celebrity Softball game. But Sunday, on its own, standing on its own, is the MLB Draft. The MLB Draft is looks a lot different than it always ever has. First of all, it might be one of the best drafts that we've seen in a long time. No question about it. Secondly, you have drama at the top of the draft, which is always good. Third, you also have MLB doing its best to make it like an NFL-type deal with a stage, with an event, with its own day, with a crowd, with all of that at Seattle. And we'll be there. Baseballs and Boring will be there. And we're here right now because we want to start that conversation or jump into the conversation and really sink our teeth into it. And there's no better person to do it than Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com. Does an excellent job, all things drafts, all things rookie. You're going to want to listen to this podcast. You're going to be smarter. You're going to be entertained. You're going to dislike the actually idea of the MLB draft, and you're going to follow it like you never have before. That's what we want to do. So at BB isn't boring, social account, Twitter, Instagram, book, a damn near perfect game, T-shirts, gear, all of that. And thank you, FanDuel, for jumping aboard, being part of our family, helping power us through the season. It's been a fun season. Great, great stuff so far. And it's going to be great stuff going forward. And today, another example of the aforementioned great stuff. Here you go. Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com. All right. There's nobody I'd rather have on right now than Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com. The mastermind of all things draft, at least this week. I know you do a lot of things, Kylie. 
you're good at a lot of things. But this week, we are turning to your expertise, as a lot of people are, because you are our North Star, my friend. You are a North Star when it comes to this stuff. So thanks for joining. Uh, thank you. My wife calls this my Super Bowl. I'm not I'm not sure if I call it that yet, but I guess because she calls it, it probably is. <laughs> All right. So, hey, listen, with any Super Bowl, what you do, the first thing you ask is who's going to win the game. All right. There you go. Who's going to win the game? Who is going to be the number one and two picks? Let's just I was going right to say that on the coin flip, but maybe that's not what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of things. There are things these days that you can bet on when it comes to the MLB draft. But uh, yeah, so I mean, out of the gate, since you brought, I wasn't even going to get to it this quick, but why not? Who- so that is the big question. I've been uh, cutting videos and writing scripts and updating my rankings is actually what I'm doing right now. It'll go up tomorrow. And I'm still waffling a bit on the order in which I'll put the three college players that are one, two, three. I think in the mock draft, all three of those guys will go one, two, three. Uh, there's like a 5% chance that Max Clark, a high school outfielder at Indiana, is like the surprise, like sort of cut rate option. Uh, I think the 95% chance is one of those three guys. I don't know which one it's going to be yet. <laughs> That's basically the next three or four days is making calls, trying to figure that out. But unfortunately, this has gone back to even the Adley Rutschman year in 2019 when it was pretty obvious who was going to go first, but you wanted sort of like confirmation or like, in, you know, the agent could tell you, hey, they made contact, we've talked numbers, whatever. Uh, the teams, Baltimore is one of them, Pittsburgh's one of them. They don't tip their hand at all. I know I talked to Philly once after they took Mickey Moniak and he said, we drafted him knowing not knowing what the what the number would be. We didn't call him until we picked him. And I was really? like, that's nuts. <laughs> but that's how some teams do it. And they just sort of have confidence. Like, well, if we offer him this number. He's not going to say no. He's not going to go to college or go back to college for this number. So we're just offered to him. We don't need to like have him agree other, you know, ahead of time because he might say no. And then he'll say, you know, we didn't agree to that or whatever. It's like just, you know, springing on him late and he'll say yes. Um, so all that to say for people that are, you know, maybe a little new to it, it's Wyatt Langford, the left fielder, center fielder at Florida, who has, you know, 30 plus home run power and physically kind of looks like Mike Trout. So you can imagine and put up bananas numbers. So like that guy, pretty easy to imagine getting on board with that. Uh, Dylan Cruz, center fielder at LSU, good enough in center field, probably more of a right fielder, has basically been famous since he was 13 or 14. I've been watching him since that early. Uh, We both came up in Florida and he also put up bananas numbers and might hit, you know, 280 with 25 homers, that kind of thing. And then Paul Skeens is the best draft pitching prospect since at least Garrett Cole in 2010 and maybe, uh, or is that 2011? It's, mm. it, no, 2011. Mm-hmm. And, or 2009 Strasburg. Those are the two the two guys people bring it all the way back to. So all three of them are slam dunk number one overall picks in almost any draft. And all three of them were in Omaha. And all three of them are at the top of this draft. And all three of them will have slightly different numbers that we don't know what they are yet. And that's what will dictate who will actually go first. If you made me guess, I will say Skeens. I think he is most likely. But this is like 52%. Like just barely over 50-50. I love it. By the way, so there's a couple questions just off of what you said. Number one, you mentioned the Mickey Moniak draft back in 2016. And you look at that and people look at, oh, well, that first round looks rough kind of right now, right? So... I, I was what? in a front office that year with the Braves. I know how rough it was looking. Back. Oh, right. Was it? Oh, man, I mean, we were so convinced that guy was going to be good. And he's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, that, I guess that's one of the things when you're in the front office, do you know it's going to be that rough? I mean, do you, there's other examples of, of looking at baseball reference and seeing how little, how few bolds there are guys that make the major leagues from that first round. But you, so you had even no idea. 
It, I mean, we knew it wasn't one of those like generational. There's no, you know, Harper. There's not the 2005 draft. I believe it was Braun, Tulowitzki, McCutcheon, uh, Zimmerman. There, there were like seven guys that'll be on Hall of Fame ballots in the top ten picks, and you kind of knew then it would be really good. Mm-hmm. We knew it wasn't one of those years. Um, but yeah, I, when you're talking yourself into it, you're just like, oh, Ian Anderson, he could be an ace. And like for two years, it looked like he was. And so it looked like we like, you know, nailed it. And, and now it's like, well, maybe we didn't, but then it's like, well, who else would you have taken? And right. Like, All right. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe you I mean, nailed it. Like, congratulations, Gavin Lux. You're, you're like, you, you, you win the prize or one of the few prizes of, of being good and in that first round. he still hasn't really done that much. In the I know. Like, we're now at the point where. I remember like thinking, you know, we should have been more interested in like AJ Puck or like guys like that. And then you're like, oh, and then they were top 100 prospects and, you know, I was right. And it's like, well, they still haven't really done anything. Like you're not wrong yet. You might be, but you're not well, wrong. Yet. Well, well, we just had on AJ on the podcast last week and, and, you know, think about that. Yeah, sure. He's a success story this year. He's a really good closer, but if my math is correct, this is this is six years after. I mean, six years. So anyway, my question to you, Kylie, is how do you feel about this draft? Like now that you're sitting here, how do you feel where this historically this draft is going to end up? So again, I've been forced to write these sorts of things for the last week or so, trying to hype up the rest of the company uh, about this. And the argument is it's the best draft in at least a decade, maybe a couple. Because not because like, oh, pick 20 is better than pick 20 normally is it's uh, I actually did this when I worked for a team is I noticed our, our guys in the room talking about, oh, this draft is really deep. And I'm like, what you're saying is as a scout who doesn't see every single player in the country, but sees a lot of them. I think the 31st best player this year is better than the 31st player last year, which is like a pretty ridiculous thing to say when you like think about it. It's like, well, you have all 31 guys perfectly nailed. You're not missing anybody. And you put them side by side at draft time. Forget what you know about this guy, what he did in the last year in pro ball. It's like, it's sort of silly thing to say. And so I went and looked. And if you, one way of breaking it down would be looking at, um, how highly ranked guys are and then how good they become. And it turns out around like pick 15 or so uh, is where the idea of depth just kind of falls apart. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. If the top of the draft's really good, it pushes everybody down. Once you get far enough every year, it's probably about the same every year. So all that to say, this top five is the best top five in like maybe 20 years. Oh, wow. And the rest of the draft is like pretty good. And so it's like, oh, that means best draft in 20 years because this top five has five potential like perennial all-stars, like that kind of guy. They're all, see, I have the number right here. The top three dudes are all going to go immediately in the top 15 of my minor league prospect rankings. And then the next two guys will go in the 20 to 30 range. Wow. So for instance, last year, I think one guy did that. Maybe two did and then fell out already. So usually you have one guy this good any given year and we have five and three of them that are better than anybody we've had in three or four years. Wow. And so that answers one of the questions. There's no chance that those top five, any of those guys falls out of the top five in your estimation. There is a possibility. Ooh, there's some ooh. buzz. Uh, yeah, there's some buzz that at five, Minnesota is not nuts about any one of them that falls to them. They like some, they don't like others. And it also sounds like Oakland at six is not inclined to go above slot to pay um, the player that gets there. And I think the expectation from those five players is if you're the one that randomly gets to five, you want above slot at five because you think you you know your average expectation is going third or fourth. So if Minnesota doesn't want to go over and Oakland doesn't want to go over, it sounds like Cincinnati does want to go over. So it sounds like if one gets out, it'll be just one, and they'll get to seven, and Cincinnati will be the stopper. Um, that That is what I would sort of expect. Even that is probably, you know, 30% chance. 
Um, but that is, yeah, that's the outcome where one of those guys gets through. And I think that'll potentially look pretty silly that somebody didn't want to spend an extra, you know, 600 K in draft money, which is just like sort of a made up thing. Yeah, I know. So let's go back to the, the top pick. And I had tweeted this, um, where you have schemes, you have some of these other guys. And it, I said, this may be of all the sports that we have, NFL, NHL, NBA, this might be one of the better number one pick debates that we've had in a long time. And I don't expect you to go through the offensive linemen of the NFL, but let's say for baseball, this has become one of the better debates that we've had in a long time, which is, by the way, awesome, because there's nothing that no bigger sad trombone than when you know the guy is going to be picked in the the number one, right? So how, how does this rank in that respect? So the thing I've actually been saying to scouts, which I think also shows my age, I interviewed a couple of high school players this year and mentioned a guy from six drafts ago. And they were like, I was 12. Who's that? And I was like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm so old. <laughs> I'm still in my 30s, but I feel so old. But the thing I just uh, Googled is because the I want to make sure I got the names right. Uh, I have been re- referring to pool boy. This hurts to say the 2006 NFL draft is the one that comes to mind. Because I remember watching Reggie Bush, Mario Williams, and Vince Young. And for the next five years, I had them in a different order every year. In addition to having a different order on draft day. Because it was like completely different positions doing completely different things. And any of them could hit or bust. And at various points, they all looked like they had hit. And all looked like they had busted. Uh, and so I think that might be a version of what happens here. Where I have been changing. Like I have seen all of these guys in person for a couple of years now. Like I have enough information. And I've been changing my mind every week. And I'm still not sure, like, when this podcast goes up, my rankings will be up, and I don't know what it's going to say. Because I know it's going to say those three college guys are going to be between 8 and 15 in the top 100s to underline, like, hey, they're kind of co-number ones, but I technically have to go 1, 2, 3. That's, you know, I don't remember a lot of drafts where it was 1, 2, 3 like that. Usually it's 1, and then you have, like, Dwayne Wade and, you know, Darko and Bosch. It's, like, a little bit different. Um, usually you don't have one, two, three, like in a jumble like that. And especially in the baseball draft where you're like sort of incentivized, if you have an outlier opinion to then take the cheaper of the group, which then sort of turns it upside down. Like you have that on top of it. So yes, I would say this is maybe the most both debatable, interesting, intriguing going forward. And also like marketable because you would normally say the baseball draft. Well, last year it was Drew Jones and Jackson holiday. People only care about them because of their last name. They don't really know anything about them. These guys were all just on TV, like 20 days in a row, like ending a week ago. So like, this is like as promotional of a, of a top of a draft as you could have, because they were all just in the front of your mind at a very high level of baseball tied to college or, uh, programs that people love. And they're all essentially the same. And they all kind of play different positions to do different things. You know, you, you bring something up and I was going to ask a little bit later, but I don't want to lose this conversation. Um, baseball is obviously desperate and they've been desperate to sort of like make this a thing. And, and we know the reasons, the challenges that they have compared to the NFL, the NBA drafts particularly, which is, you know, you don't get the immediate results from the guys. A lot of these guys, they don't get seen like they do on Saturdays in college football or the massive amounts of college basketball games. And so, you know, initially it was in Secaucus or whatever that was, the, the draft was held. And and now they're doing the all-star game. They're giving it a day. They're having the the NFL-like stage and everything else like that. How much has it taken root? Like last year, I think that was the first year they did that, right? The The NFL sort of like we're having an event and everyone come and watch it. How much do you think? I don't, it'll never get to NFL, but how much do you think they've made progress in getting people interested in that way? I think this year will be a good measure of that. 
uh, because of the things I just said. Like if any random person walking by that maybe is a football fan that watched a little Omaha is going to stop and be like, oh, they're doing the second pick. Oh, the guy on the board. I've heard of that guy. Oh, let me hang around for like three minutes and see what's going on. Because that's what was happening at LA Live last year is it was like media and agents and families and players and uh, the broadcast like inside the um, this little area. Uh, and then there were people walking around and like, I can't, like, I think if my wife walked by at the seventh pick while I'm on TV talking about it, she'd be like, yeah, I'll watch the replay. Like we're good. <laughs> it was just sort of like, wait, you know, what about Tamar Johnson is going to make people in LA stop and be like, Tamar Johnson, really? I've been hearing about it for weeks. <laughs> he was interviewed by Mario Lopez last week. Like just, that wasn't the way it was going. Um, but this I think will. And the other funny thing is like, you have Rhett Lauder's going to go in the first round, Hurston Waldrop, Chase Dolander, uh, Kyle Teal, all those guys were in Omaha. So it's like, it's not like it's just those three guys. It's like half of the first 15 picks were like, again, very on TV, very public, and like will be in high A at the end of the year, like presumably could be there in two years. And so if this doesn't like, you know, get a crowd or seem to get some attention or there's not like, you know, reports from the media reporters the next day, like, hey, big numbers for the MLB draft. Like people seem to care about this. Like if we don't hear that, then like I might be a little bit worried. But given the way that the Men's College World Series ratings were going up and I think the interest and like that sort of crescendo, like I think we're just on like a sort of slow ramp up because with NIL in the portal, the top teams are only going to get better. They're only going to go to Omaha more often. Like the sort of attention to the SEC because of football and basketball is only going to get higher. Like, I think it's going to get even more concentrated. So I think it's one of those, like I said, like slow rises up as we get to like the way soccer took like 30 years in this country to like break through. It's like, well, people already kind of like baseball. So like if we give them baseball plus the brands they love in college sports, like that doesn't seem like a hard sell if they're all the good teams. No, I they, thought- they are and will be. Yeah, it's all great points. I was there, and you're right. I mean, I think that this year, it's a slow process. And it's funny because one of the things I was talking to a GM about this, about how I understand what baseball is doing, right? They want the day. They want all eyes on the draft or more eyes on the draft. And But for, for teams, they're like, oh, man, you know, this was supposed to be our downtime. This was like, you're lumping, you're lumping. Now you're lumping the trade deadline and the draft all together. Um, but, you know, that we can't be hypocrites. We want the game to grow, right? So there you go. Well, the thing that I found that the front office people are complaining about is it's getting into trade season while prepping for the draft, yeah. which every front office person wants to be sort of involved in it to various degrees. And then as you're finishing it, and you're thinking about, all right, post-deadline trade stuff. We're starting to sign guys. Maybe we signed a couple of Boris guys. we got some real problems to deal with. We also need to start promoting guys. Like, guys are coming up and going down. you got two weeks of trade stuff while you're also doing negotiations um, for contracts. Like, it's not a great time. Mm-hmm. Like, ideally, I think, if we're trying to figure out, like, workload for front office people, which, you know, like, Crimea River, it'd be, like, right after the trade deadline. Like, you know, August 15th, when everyone's got, like, two weeks to prep and really throw themselves into it, and then this thing, and then after it's over, then, like, the playoffs start in, like, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. Like, that may flow a little bit more naturally. Um, but, like, because we've moved the draft, like, a month later, i already been to multiple 2024 draft events because they didn't move those. Like, those <laughs> are set up to be, like, we start the day after the draft ends and we go through, like, the middle of August as the kids start going back to school. And then they move the draft back. But, like, they're, like, we already have, like, a fully packed summer. So those are all going to stay the same place they are. <laughs> so I've already seen, like, all the college and high school kids for next year, uh, in some cases, multiple times. And that is, like... Not great for my brain, but like, luckily, I don't get fired if I pick the wrong one. I just get yelled at on Twitter that I put them in the wrong order. Whereas, like, people have to like literally have two classes in their mind at the same time. 
Yeah, well, that comes and it goes. So there you go. But their picks last forever. You mentioned the interest and in how people, how the average fan gets involved in this. Like, like I said, the here and the now is a big thing when it comes to NFL and the NBA. We understand you get drafted high. You are probably a star on your team. Obviously, with baseball, that's almost never the case. But there are some outliers. I just got up well 15 minutes ago from the Red Sox clubhouse and Chris Sale stayed in there. And I every year I want to do this. You know, I want to talk to him about being drafted and then going to the major leagues a couple months later. Um, and then for the Red Sox, from the Gulf Coast of all colleges, right, too. I know, from like Auburn or something. I know. And and there's always a guy. I remember uh, a few years ago, Durbin Feldman. Remember Durbin Feldman? Yeah, TCU. Yeah, right. TCU drafted in the third round. He was perceived as oh maybe, and we get so excited. I think that was when the Red Sox were making a run. So it was like, Oh, Hey, he's going to help. He's going to be a bullpen. And that put a lot of ton of pressure on the kid. I felt in, in hindsight, I felt awful for the kid. Um, but is there anybody a in the conversation to do that this year or B who do you think is going to be the closest to the major leagues? So the one that comes up the most is Paul Skeens, because if I were, if I were doing like a, Let's say I'm a team that is like in the wildcard hunt, which is, you know, like two thirds of leagues in ba- of the teams in baseball right now. And I'm ignoring service time completely. I'm just doing what is good for the team and what is good for the player. And when are they ready and whatever. If I signed Paul Skeens, I would immediately send him to double A and have him go like one to three innings at a time and just kind of get his feet wet, get him used to everything, kind of see how things play. And then if he, you know, does what he did in college, which I think is reasonable in one to an extent, send him to triple A, let him face essentially like reject big league hitters, uh, see how he does it. And it's conceivable that within six weeks of that, he's thrown, you know, 15, 20 innings and is just dominating everybody. It's like, you know, 10 strikeouts to one walk or, you know, whatever it is. And then it's like, well, is he big league, re- big league ready? And it's like, well, obviously he is because he's dominating everyone in this role. He is big league ready. And if you told me tomorrow that like Pittsburgh takes skeins and puts him straight in the big leagues, throwing one inning at a time, throwing 60% sliders and then throwing 100 like on the black, I'd be like, yeah, he'll probably be OK. Like, I think he can do that. All of the other stuff about him where it's like, well, is he going to use his curveball and his changeup a lot? And like, can he turn over a lineup? And like, is he thrown too many innings this year? It's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But like one or two innings at a time at the upper levels immediately and maybe the big leagues is like totally reasonable. And I would also say that to maintain his rookie eligibility, if you're then going to consider all the stuff that like James consider these days, right. we should do what they did with Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson and have them up long enough where it's, you don't get the two months. You don't lose eligibility. You have it for next year. You start him and have him throw 170 innings and then maybe get a comp pick for him winning rookie of the year. Like, I think that would be sort of the most prudent way to do it without actually holding him back. Beyond those guys, everybody else, even like Langford and Cruz are like, you might, they might finish the season playing three weeks in double A and then might be up in the middle of next year. But it would just be sort of insane to take any hitter and put them straight up there this year. Mm. And those are sort of outlier-y uh, outcomes if they're, like, in double-A at the end of the year because they, like, demolished high A. Like, one or two guys in this draft might do that. It's possible none of them do. Um, and then the pitchers, most of them are they're up high and very good because they're starters, in which case you don't want to rush them up there, you know, per se. But, you know, Rhett Lauder, um, I could see him being, like, Detmers and, like, being in the big leagues the next year. 
uh, things go really quickly. And then I'm sure like fifth, sixth round, there's always like some like submarine righty that could just send him straight to triple A because he's like 23. And like, there's always yeah. some of those guys, but like, right. I'm sure that's not who you're asking about. <laughs> no, no, but that's like, you just said that make me laugh because there always are. There's all these guys, all oh, these throws funky, you might be able to get it out. Or just anybody uh, the Eagles draft, they'll just be in the big leagues tomorrow. And they'll be oh, like, oh, it's crazy, yeah, right? It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so two more questions. One is, who is the guy who is rising the fastest? Is there is a guy that like even a couple months ago or maybe because one of the weird things too and I don't maybe this is a completely different conversation but you know I uh, helped launch the Cape League that I by that I mean I MC the manager's brunch so I know the Cape League starting right and the, the scrambled so eggs the scrambled eggs are outstanding let me tell you like and, and Tom Holiday like he's he his speeches it wasn't as good as his speech the other day it was still good but um. But the Cape League has changed. That dynamic has changed because all of a sudden, and this is one of the things, honestly, like Holiday was ranting on the other day, which was these guys, they are leaving. They already know they're leaving. They're not invested in this league because they're getting a chance to be in the draft. Maybe this helps them rise for the draft for these couple of weeks. I don't know. I'll come back to my original question. Who is rising the most? All right, I'll give you a couple of different sorts of guys. Um, so the the challenge that I have is everyone agrees on essentially the top three and then four and five and then a giant drop off. From like six to twelve, like it, it almost feels like no one deserves to be there. That they're just like twenty dudes that should be seventeenth overall, and you just have to put a couple of them sixth and seventh. Like that's how that sort of giant tier is seen. Uh, two guys broke into that tier of like the six through say twenty five or so. One is Johanny Morales, third baseman in Miami. Uh, he's a big name out of high school, long limbed giant, like thirty plus home run power, pretty good third base. Uh, I was watching at the ACC tournament and a scout said, you know what? He's Nick Castellanos. Like he swings too much. He'll probably hit 250. He'll probably eventually be an outfielder, but he's going to hit a bunch of home runs and I think he'll hit. And I was like, you're right. I thought he was like, maybe like a late first comp, maybe even second rounder. And I was like, no, you're right. Like, I think that'll, he'll figure it out. Another one, Nolan Shanuel, another high school kid from Florida that I, there's been a lot of second and third tier high school kids out of Florida, Dylan Cruz being another one, Wyatt Langford being one that just get scouted so much that people talk themselves out of them. Where if they were like late pop-up kids in Massachusetts, I think people would get all excited. Like, look at this guy. But you know, there's been so many of these. Another one is Shanuel at Florida Atlantic who seemed like a second rounder that like wasn't super athletic. And he had, I think the highest OPS in college in the last five years this year at Florida Atlantic. And some teams think he is 60 hit, 60 power, send him straight to double A. He'll be in the big leagues next year. Uh, and so I think he might go as high as pick like 10 or 11, probably goes by about 20. He's gotten into that tier with all these like name brand Omaha guys. And then two dudes a little bit later that I think are more comp to early second. One is Joe Whitman, who is on the Cape. Uh, lefty out of Kent State. Uh, he transferred out of Purdue because he wasn't able to pitch that much and didn't have much command. It was just sort of a complete afterthought. I didn't know his name at all. And now he has three above average pitches, is throwing oh. strikes. And like, guy, there were like 50 scouts at all of his late starts because all, all the scouts were like, we might take him in the second round. I've never heard of this guy, much less seen him two or three times. So I got to figure this out. And he had one really good start in the Cape. I think just one, one that I'm aware of mm-hmm. where he was really good. Everyone got his track man data. A bunch of scouting directors were up there. Like, I think he secured a spot in the late first or comp round. And the last one is shortstop Bryce Matthews at Nebraska, who has a shot to sneak in the 20s. Uh, plus runner, might be able to play short, good power, performed well, was sort of the third or fourth best guy on his team entering the spring, and is like an athlete that also put up numbers and is really rising up. And, and then one that will... ...30s also. 
uh, because he he has if you squint just a little bit, there's like a ten percent chance he's Spencer Strider. Um, he's doing a lot of that same like low approach angle, rise of the fastball, comes at you, throws strikes, good athlete. Like he does a lot of that same stuff, and so I think teams are a little more enthusiastic about that kind of pitcher than they used to be, you know, five ten years ago. Who was the guy? Who was the guy from last year's draft that had surprised you either way, like Ooh. excelling or not living up to what you thought he would be? So the thing that scares me about this draft is I think 20 of the top 50 picks or 20 of the top 50 bonuses will be high school hitters. And those are notoriously hard to project because there's so many different versions of them. Some of them are guys I've been seeing for three years in Florida and Georgia that like I'm very familiar with. And sometimes like there's a kid that's 19 and a half. That's a division one quarterback that uh, in Colorado that like hasn't, it was facing guys throwing 78 all spring and was good at one event over the summer. Cause he went to one event and I'm like, this guy could be anything from Corey Seager that doesn't get out of eight ball. Like I have no idea what to do with this. Cause it's also <laughs> contingent on what your competition level is. Mm-hmm. So last year uh, there's a kid named Cole young shortstop out of Pennsylvania that Seattle took in the first round that I thought was just good, not great, but had been famous for a long time. And he has been great in the minors and looks like he might be an above average everyday starter, which kind of goes back to when guys are famous for multiple years in high school, it's usually for a good reason. Another one, I imagine you'll like hearing this one is Roman Anthony mm. who was good for multiple years in high school had a terrible summer and then was good again in the spring, but again, against not wood bats, not against the best pitching. Everyone's like, mm, what do we do with this? And I saw him at a giant event was like, this guy's really good. I think he might hit. And everyone's like, eh, second round. Like I'm not into it. And then he's just like gone bananas this spring and might be 25 homers chance to play center, but probably more of a right fielder really been hitting is almost too passive. He's so selective, like has all those little pieces that if you told me that now, I think he went in the uh, second round and got late first money. He'd go yeah. like 12 overall if they redid that draft right now. Oh, interesting. That's always great. I, I love that stuff. I think it's so good. It's such a good point about high school. And, and sometimes, and I talked to Haim about this, is that sometimes it's it's if you, you get like second and third and fourth chances because they remember you from high school, what you did in high school and so forth and so on. I appreciate your time. My, my producer, producer Evan, would kill me if he didn't ask, if I did not ask. Who do you think is going to fall to the Mets? Uh, he asked specifically, does Brock Wilkin fall to the Mets? Ooh. So the thing I put in two mocks ago is I found out when I – I couldn't find a spot to put Johanny Morales, who I mentioned earlier. I think he goes 15 to, like, 22. I put him at the Mets pick, and some scouts are like, he's not going to get there, but the Mets would love him. Like, all they're talking about is how we want Johanny Morales. And I was like, well, they're not going to get him. Brock Wilkin is the essentially the same kind of guy – uh, except he might be more of a first baseman than a third baseman, but similar power. And another guy that in Omaha, you just see him hitting tanks and you're like, that seems good. Like, I think that'll work. Uh, <laughs> here's the funny thing that I'm not sure if your producer is going to know. So I was mentioning earlier that a bunch of second and third tier high school uh, players in, Tam- in Tampa, Orlando, Florida generally are getting like pushed back. So uh, the comp that I used when I was talking to scouts was there's a kid named Ethan Petrie that just went bananas as a freshman at South Carolina. I had him rated one-tenth on my list last year. I was like, somebody should sign this guy in like the third round. Nobody did. He probably would have taken less than a million. He's going to go in the top 15 picks in two years now. Mm. Uh, Pete Alonzo, very famous guy in Florida. Could have gotten paid out of high school. Could have gotten the first round of college. Did not. People passed on. Brock Wilkin, another right-handed hitting, first base, third base from the Tampa, Orlando area that it got passed over out of high school. He was in the COVID draft. Another one, Sterling Thompson. Didn't get paid out of high school, went in the late first last year, is now one of the top 100 prospects in baseball. There's something going on in Central Florida where, like, the dudes that play on the corners that don't have, like, 30, 40 home run power that's obvious 
they're just getting passed over for some reason. And so leaning into that with Brock Wilkin, I think is a smart thing to do because there is like something going on in that area with that kind of player that I can't explain. I think there's just too many players. The scouts are over- overloaded and can't make good decisions. So, I like it. Uh, Brock Wilkin getting there, I'm going to say 35%, but right. that would be a great pick if he does. All right, we'll take it. We'll take it. Excellent. Thank you for making him feel good about himself. He deserves it. Uh, Kylie, uh, it's so good, man. It's so good. Uh, I hope to see you in Seattle, and um, I will present you your Baseballs and Boring t-shirt there, if you're there, and uh, I really appreciate the time. Yep, thank you.